Welcome, welcome, welcome back to Podshot. Um, as you can hear, it's me, Alex, hosting, but it's just me today. None of the other Podshot members are here. We do have a great pod in plan for you guys. Um, we aren't getting the Sam and Kian pod, but we are getting the Champions League preview pod where we'll be looking at three other teams in, in our group um, coming up after the international break. Sevilla, PSV and RC Lance. I won't be doing too much talking about the teams that we face, at least the first two, and instead I have very exciting guests to talk to us about Sevilla, and even more exciting guests to talk to us about PSV. And then I've managed to book the host of arguably the best league on part around to chat to me about Lance. But first, let's look at Sevilla uh, in part one for our group. And it's a great pleasure for me to introduce my friend Jose Perez Romero, who is one of the analysts that I have admired the most um, since basically coming on Twitter, an inspiration for me when I first came on. Um, he's been putting out great analysis ever since. Um, yeah. Hi, Jose. How are you? Hello, Alex. Hello, everyone. I thank you, first of all, for... Well, <laughs> one, thanks for having me here. Two, thanks for the kind words. Like, who would have thought that me firing whatever takes I, I come up with on Twitter counts as analysis that inspires other people, but I'll take that. So thank you very much. <laughs> it did for me. It did for me. So something we have on here before we really get into talking severe is a potshot question. Um, it's just a nice sort of icebreaker. The one that I've come up for today is basically very thematically, what is your favorite ever Champions League goal scored by the club that you support? I know that you're a Real Madrid fan, so I've decided to go f with mine first because I'm pretty sure whatever goal you're, you're going to end up speaking about will top mine and I don't want to follow <laughs> on from that. So, so let me open up with my favorite ever Champions <laughs> League goal scored by Arsenal. And I was trying to think of like a cooler, quirkier one, you know, maybe something a little bit smarter, but I couldn't really look past um, the Andre Arshavin goal back in 2011, um, obviously to win the game 2-1 for us against prime Barcelona, I'm talking prime Xavi, Iniesta, Messi, who terrorized us a couple years before, David Villa was still top of his game, um, it was really a top team. I even remember exactly like the moment when we scored that goal, um, because that day I'd actually come back from rugby, which is what I played at the time. Um, and I'd really hurt my knee. So I had to have it all iced and leg up on, on you know, sort of the sofa, but at a higher level. And when we scored, obviously I couldn't stand up, but I was just like shaking uncontrollably when we scored. So see, I would have been, rem uh, you know, missed for me to like, to not speak about that goal. But that that's probably my favorite ever um, Champions League goal scored by Arsenal, at least, at least that I remember. And you, Jose? Yeah, you remind me. Of, uh, sadly, what I remember <laughs> from that Arsenal team is just Wilshere. Like in, in those days when you when we thought that he was going to eat up the world, then well, let's not talk about it. Um, <laughs> the, for Real Madrid, yeah, uh, 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 unfortunately or fortunately for me, there's a lot of moments one can think about. Uh, but I mean, I think the one I yelled the most for sure. Uh, was Rodrigo's goal during the semis against Manchester City uh, in 2022, like to okay, to, I can imagine. to win the semis? Because that's because there have been other moments like Sidan's uh, goal in the 2002 final. Like I didn't really watch it. Like I I I didn't watch that part. Of, like I missed that one. So I I can't really tell you that I saw that and celebrated it. But like easily the goals that I celebrated the most were during Real Madrid's uh, 2022 uh, Champions League run. And yeah, and that one was like the crowning moment when you're like, how does this keep happening? <laughs> yeah, you, you guys defied 
all like I mean I remember all the tactics people on Twitter were absolutely actually mad except for I guess yourself and Um because <laughs> you guys just kept going against the the grain and winning everything. I even remember Rodrigo kind of had a bet with his father that he'd score two goals or something off the bench for that game if I remember correctly I don't remember that correctly but it could be and uh yeah like lord give me 10% of the confidence of Rodrigo so <laughs> absolutely okay let's get into the team that we will actually be facing um from Spain in the group stages and that's Sevilla so before we actually get into the tactics and yeah the really the meat of what we want to discuss with Sevilla how they're shaping up how they're likely to shape up versus us would you mind just um, taking me through the club and how they've fared over the last few years? Yes, so that's uh, quite an interesting story, honestly, when it comes to Sevilla, because it was, I think it's been a bit hidden from outsiders due to their Europa League trophy, but the club's a hot mess right now. <laughs> um, that's the That's really the best way to put it. And this is something that had been brewing for a bit since around 2019, 2020. So what happened is that Sevilla had like one of their best league runs ever where they landed in the fourth spot of the table three years in a row under Julian Lopetegui. And it all looked very nice. But the thing is that achieving that took a sacrifice. They made uh, Monchi, the sporting director in Lopetegui, made a big gamble on the short term that's now giving Sevilla a ton of pain on the medium and long term to keep the they try to spend on older more proven players on higher wages uh, trying to focus on the short term and while some of them like Fernando worked out the reality is that most of them Papu Gomez, Corona, Suso, Rakitic Real, well, Rak we're going to talk about Rakitic later, but that's but but to me it didn't work out as well. But many of these older signings didn't work, and now Sevilla is stuck with these older players on huge contracts that have no resale value. Combine that with La Liga's uh, financial fair play, and it means that they can barely do a squad renovation at at the moment because it's been hard to offload all of these older players on huge contracts first. So um, if we look at numbers from, say, CIS, up to September 2021, these guys were the second oldest squad in the big five leagues. Efforts have been done in the last two years to renovate it, but on average, this team continues to be fairly old, and that gives you a lot of problems for squad building, these guys, they try to press, but of course their success is not going to be that high. They are relatively slow. So that's been the problem that has been brewing uh, in Sevilla that exploded in the last year where Sevilla was fighting, was almost down in relegation zone. Uh, Sampaoli couldn't quite bring them uh, bring them up. It, it, did, it didn't quite work out. Part of the issue was not being able to press as well. Um, then uh, Jose Luis Mendilibar, uh, who's known for coaching that very exciting, high-pressing A-bar side. Uh, he came in, uh, he managed to steady the ship, and then they won the Europa League title. But now it looks like the troubles are catching up with them again. They're currently bottom of La Liga. They've lost their first three games. So it's starting to look like emergency mode again. Maybe this is a good step into speaking about the tactics. Is why then... With all of these problems that particularly they kind of suffer in the league, why do they manage to keep winning in Europe, I think? Before we kind of step into the team that is this season, is there any real reason why they've managed to do that? Or is it kind of changed with each win? 
Honestly, it's like Real Madrid black magic in, in Champions League. It's the equivalent. <laughs> I, I really have no other way to describe it. Like I can go like I can go a bit into the nuances of each time they won it. Like when they won it under Lopetegui, they were a far more solid team. They were a very yeah. solid defensive unit. Not not great to, to watch on the attack, but they were solid when they won that one. But this last one was really like the equivalent of Real Madrid's 2022 Champions League run, where you wonder how on earth... Actually, the Real Madrid one is worse because Real Madrid got spanked by everyone <laughs> on the way to it. Sevilla didn't get spanked as badly. They still needed some big goalkeeping performances and everything, but they weren't dominated as much. But it's still kind of a weird run. And if I go into the tactics, and this is something I wanted to talk about, is that I think uh, right now under Mendy Livar, he... Uh, he is a really good coach, but I do have concerns about his playing style scaling into a team like Sevilla that has to take so much initiative on the ball. Because one of the key problems is that when they have to play in La Liga and they have to keep most of possession, they are rather one-dimensional, partly because of the tactics, partly because of the pro player profiles where like, there's no one who can do like, who, who can win a dribble in there other than Lucas Ocampos on a good day. Um, uh, they struggle a lot to break down these kinds of opponents in La Liga. But then when it comes to, but then like they lose these games against like relegation level opposition in La Liga and then they go and do like a really good game against Manchester City. Like, how do you explain that? One, black magic. Two, uh, tactically, they <laughs> are more comfortable against the ball than they are with the ball. So when they have these games or they can be more of the underdogs, they look more comfortable, actually. Okay, so it sounds to me like over the last couple of seasons, there has been a general slide, but they've still managed to under each coach kind of have a nice approach that suits them versus the biggest teams. Uh, I'm going to just take us back a little bit. Would you mind just taking me through Mendelibar's sort of game game model um, and system and how he plays, especially this season, and the key players that will, I think, form part of that? Yes. So as far as Mendelibar's tactics, so he has a very well-established style of play. Like we're talking about a guy who likes intense pressing with a 4-4-2 block, um, and again, this was very well known in Eibar, and Eibar is the highest expression of that system, which he implemented beautifully there. Here at Sevilla, again, it can't work as well when you have a squad this old, but they still try, they still try to. I mean, despite the age of the squad, they still have one of the lower uh, passes per defensive action numbers in the league. Uh, but that's more or less how they look, uh, how they'll try to behave out of possession. Then, of course, against... Uh, stronger opposition, they might take a step back in those situations, but generally the idea is pressing and has always been pressing with Mendilivan. Then on, then in possession, it's quite interesting because Mendilivan has very strong opinions about these things. Um, like I there was an interview where he was saying, like, I do not believe in like interior midfielders. I don't believe, basically, I don't believe in <laughs> eights. So he likes his 4-4-2 with like a double pivot in there. And and what they do in possession, it's a bit one-dimensional. In the end, it's uh, go there with your 4-4-2 block, win the ball, get the ball, send it. That double pivot circulates it out to the wings. Then the wings cross it into the box. Then if it gets clear, then you go pick up the second ball, recirculate the ball, repeat the process until eventually a goal drops. And Mendilivar is, it has been like 
on the mic saying like for him when it comes to chance creation he believes in quantity over quality so he prefers to do brute force crossing into the box into the box until uh something gets poor, scored and 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 it's part of the model because what he wants with that is to keep winning second balls in order to keep pinning the opposition against their goal that is the model in theory of course on paper it hasn't worked quite that well uh, for Sevilla. And I would say one of the things that, uh, and this happened, by the way, Lopetegui was a bit different, like he actually believed in, in interior midfielders, but they actually did very similar things, both coaches, which is both of them went for the brute crossing, brute force crossing approach, which I personally find a bit weird because this is a team when, if you look at the attackers or the attacking midfielders, like you see many of these midfieldy creative types like Suso or Oliver Torres. And I find it weird that both coaches use this kind of playing style, given uh, a lot of their talent. It, it just doesn't seem like it fits. Like if Sevilla had like fast winger, like fast wingers, uh, another more aggressive 10 who goes into the box to help in the city, then I can see how the game model optimizes for the talent. But here it doesn't quite feel like it has. Yeah, it sounds like Mindy Libar was an interesting appointment to start off, given his um, focus, I guess, firstly on pressing intensity, which I think does demand a certain physical intensity, right? And then as well maybe his his lack of interest in these sort of inside interior players that can kind of create and and make things happen through the middle um such as Suso and Oliver Torres that you were speaking about it from me it's sounding that they're not the best team in terms of their matchup and maybe I'm, I'm speaking too soon and they're going to end up beating us 2-1 as they do all the top teams in Europe but I think we would be quite well matched up versus Sevilla um in the group stage when we when we play them I think, well, like going a bit more into the matchup, I I'm just going to put it this way. I, I, I believe Arsenal is superior to Sevilla in every phase of play. That's <laughs> that. That's my way of saying th they would be heavy favorites in here. Again, I, but, but the thing is, like, I would say the same about Manchester City and then that game happened. And, and sure, it was not City's best game, but it's... Like it's good. Like it's a good way to show that these guys like can be complete bums in La Liga, and then they go into a <laughs> European game and they show a complete. Again, it, this is very Real Madrid style. Like, and then they go in completely focused, so they can all they can cause trouble. And there are certain like, and there are certain players like say if Marcos Acuna and Ocampos have a good day, they can be really troublesome. Uh, to deal with so uh, as far as the matchup I think uh, like I think Sevilla right now has so many defects that it's hard to say this is a favorable matchup for them uh, but in a way at least with PSV and with Arsenal they do end up like in that same situation like against Manchester City where they can be at least a bit more comfortable in that they do not have to take initiative with the ball they can mostly be without the ball and trying to do tra and trying to do transitions, which, again, you would think like like a team that has like so many of these older players, they wouldn't want to do, to do transitions against these op these opponents. But we could see that even against Manchester City, they had some success with it. So that still, I still think that works better for them than trying to have the ball. So it's uh, let me put it this way: PSV and Arsenal seem like not 
the most unfavorable matchups. In a way, I would expect them even to have like more trouble with Lons with like a team that's just going to sit back and let them do things. Yeah. I can imagine the Lance Sevilla game as someone who, who watches a lot of Lance. From how you've described Sevilla, that could be quite a, uh, what do you call it, a tetchy affair. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to go back. Is there anything you think that did particularly well versus City? Because I didn't actually watch um, that game that you think kind of, you know, helped them to victory. Honestly, that's a tough one because, like, because when you when when we were watching that game, I was like, um, "Why is City playing?" Like, it just seemed like City was generally off uh, in that one. Okay, and but they were still like the interesting thing is that I would think, okay, like these guys are not gonna do well against like the physical behemoths in that Manchester City defensive line, and they still found like some nice transition opportunities. It's just that. They don't really have the players to like speed wise. They just don't have the players who can exploit that. The um, in that particular game, like Enesidi was particularly dominant against City's defense, and that's going to be. And I have that as one of the key matchups against Arsenal because I think if Arsenal centre backs can keep Enesidi under control, a lot of the threat goes down. Remember, this is a team whose strategy is brute force crossing into the box. If you nullify the striker and if you nullify his uh, his aerial presence, then that makes life a lot easier. Okay, perfect. And any other sort of key players um, you see being that you've spoken of Acuna, you've spoken of Ocampos? Yes. So, I mean, I'll review a bit the starting eleven. So... Uh, in Europe, the goal the goalie will be Bono, and I say this because Dimitrovic often starts in La Liga. Like he's he played under Mendilivar before in A Bar. He likes him a lot, but in the end, Bono seems to have like that clutch gene for uh, European knockout games. So he normally like he did a massive job last year in Europa League. So he's probably going to start here too. Then the defense. Uh, it's going to be Jesus Navas as right back. He's still there. Um, <laughs> Marcos Acuña as left back, as long as he's not injured. Uh, Loic Bade, who was such a necessary signing for them over the winter. Um, and, inter- and who has been playing left center back is Nemanja Gudelj, who was originally a defensive midfielder, then figured out that because of the emergencies, he started playing at center back and did pretty well there, actually at least better than what he was at the, as the six. Um, now that Sergio Ramos is coming in, Ramos might be the one playing left center back now. And we'll have to see uh, everything regarding Ramos is pending fitness. We'll have to see how the fitness is. But if that guy is fit, even last year with PSG, he had some pretty good games. He could have a massive impact in Sevilla in all phases of play, defending the box in build-up phase. He's a giant set-piece threat. So that would be very interesting if he stays fit. So, of course, in terms of potential, he's the highest potential player in that defensive line. Uh, Acuna is also, if he has a good day, um, he's a very intense fullback and he can be dangerous making runs into space. Um, then as the midfield, I would say that uh, Gibril So is still going to be the main option alongside Ivan Rakitic, who I have a lot of... Uh, like, he is a key player in Sevilla, but in my opinion, the fact that he is a key player in Sevilla is a problem because 
He's definitely past his best days, but so much of the team still depends on him. Then with the 10 position, again, this is a 4-2-3-1. Uh, there's a lot of rotation, but I would expect that just like it happened against Manchester City, they would play someone like Oliver Torres, who's like a good midfieldy player, but not much output, goal and assist output. So maybe not the best fit for a 10, but they usually put both Lopetegui and Mendilivar trusted him just to have a bit more control with the ball. On the, wi- on, on the wings, you have Suso on the right, most likely, and Ocampos on the left. Sometimes uh, Eric Lamela might play, and in that case, Ocampos will play on the on the other side. And of course, as the striker, it'll be Enesiri. Um, all in all, like the key men to watch out here, like the ones who can really have game-breaking impact, Ramos, if he's doing well, Acuna, uh, Ocampos, and Enesiri. Okay, perfect. Um, I think that answers all my questions. So thank you so much for coming on the pod, Jose, um, and speaking to me about Sevilla. I'm looking forward to yeah to the matches. Yes, it will be quite. It will be quite interesting. I'm very curious to see how Sevilla does to see if they uh, if they can keep this weird thing black in Europe magic going way back in. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's see if the black magic is still there. Like I said at the beginning. Like my whole assessment of on Sevilla is they should be bad, but black magic. <laughs> and with that, I think we're gonna we're gonna leave the Sevilla chapter. Thank you so much, Jose. Thanks for having me, Alex. Yeah. We'll be back right after the break. And we're back, and I'm joined by my PSV expert. Welcome back, Jose. <laughs> hello, hello again, Alex. So what you don't know is Jose, well, you probably do know. Um, but if you don't know, Jose, as well as being a Real Madrid fan, he is situated in the Netherlands and he is therefore also a PSV fan. And as you know, PSV are part three in our in our group. So Jose, you must also be personally invested in this group beyond you know, all the Sevilla talk as a club you know a lot about, but you're actually a big fan of PSV. So you must be paying close attention to this group as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I. I, this is I'll parade it around because why not? Like I am a, a PSV season ticket holder, so I have to oh. so I have to suffer watching these guys every week. Uh, sometimes <laughs> I mean they're they can be a, so often good, but also sometimes really bad. And yeah, so I you know I mean yeah originally I was mostly like a Real Madrid and Liga specialist, then I came to the Netherlands and to live in Eindhoven, of course, I started getting into PSV. I mean, part of the reason I moved to Europe is to be able to watch live football like this. So it's really fun. It's really nice that, well, it's the first time since I've been here that PSV makes it into the Champions League because the last time they made it was in 2018. So it's been five years already. For Arsenal, it's been even longer, I think. So, so we're we're back in together on this one, at least. Yeah, it's kind of funny. It's kind of funny that like when I look at the group, when I looked at the group <laughs> draw, I'm like, because I'm I'm expecting like, okay, like we're get, like it's quite interesting to see like what teams are gonna come in and everything, and then I'm like, oh, it's the same guys from from Europa League. We're all <laughs> we're all in here. <laughs> That's what all the Arsenal fans would say. Was like. Well, we're back in the Champions League, but we brought all our Europa League friends with us. <laughs> yes. It's pretty much the mood of that group. <laughs> but yeah, so I know I know you spoke about suffering as a PSV fan, and I know that was very much um, last season. And now this season, you have Peter Bosch in, um, a coach that I also know very well, as he was the coach of my former... Oh, not my former... He was the former coach of my other club, Lyon. But yeah, before we get into how you guys are looking under Peter Bosch, would you mind, same as we did for Sevilla, kind of taking... 
um, us through how PSV have been as a club over the last couple of years? Yeah, so the last few years for PSV have been kind of interesting because I think there have been some good teams uh, put together uh, that had some good performance uh, in in the league, in the ADVC. But then they were faced uh, with one Eric Ten Hag and Ajax, and honestly, the combination of talent and coaching there was insanely hard to beat. So I think, for example, uh, Roger Schmidt's uh, PSV were actually a pretty good team that otherwise would have won the league, but against that Ten Hag Ajax unit, it was just very hard to win it. So in the end, they did it. They didn't manage to, and then. Uh, last year, uh, PSV had this kind of weirdish season with Ruud van Nistelrooy as the coach. The rumors always said that he didn't want to take the job, but the the board that's always like a bit conservative it were like, okay, after after the German, we want to have like a real PSV clubman coach. So they eventually convinced van Nistelrooy to coach, even though on I felt personally that it was a bit early. He had just been the coach. Uh, of the youth side and had no like first division experience and it did feel like it was a bit much for him uh van nistelrooy was a rather rigid and conservative coach the team couldn't press to save their lives even though they tried and uh yeah and even when they tried to defend deeper there were just gigantic gaps in defense so it was and possession was one-dimensional really like it was all very we don't, we don't know what other way to move the ball, so we send it over to the wings and then cross into the box with Gakpo, which was a good strategy when you have a guy like with Gakpo's ball striking and Luke de Jong on the other side. So that kind of worked in a way. And like the season was surprisingly good given how badly we play a lot of the time. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, it also helped. Like, like if you think about it, at this point last year, you had... Uh, Sangare, Cody Gakpo, Xavi Simmons, and Madueke on the same team, which is kind of an insane pool of talent. Um, all of these guys have left, and that leaves an interesting rebuild that has been happening in Eindhoven over the summer. Um, I mean, the current uh, crop of attackers is quite good at the Eredivisie level, so... Uh, Bakayoko, Noah Lang, and now uh, Lozano is coming back. They are all quite good for ADVC standards. I'm not entirely sure, especially with Lang and Bakayoko, how they will scale in Europe. So it still feels like it's a bit less talented than last year, the attack. But I mean, last year it was just insanely talented. And then Sangare gets replaced by a Dutch uh, pivot, Jerdis uh, Houten, as the six. He's compared to Sangare was more of a free spirit. He he he's not really a pivot. He should be given more freedom to go forward. While Scouten is more of an academic pivot, who frankly suits. I think um, if he had been like if Sangare had stayed, I think uh, Scouten would have played anyways the six role while Sangare had like a more advanced role anyways. Like he just fits what both wants of the six better. And then they also had. Uh, uh, and now Serginho Dest is also coming on loan, which is the best attacking fullback this club has had in a really long time. We've had really <laughs> bad fullbacks. Like, it's been the weakest part of the squad for a long time. So it's just very nice to have someone there who can actually attack 
at a high level. But anyways, going back to Bulls, the start to the season has been, like, there are, of course, issues here and there, but it's been impeccable in terms of results. I mean, they won uh, the Cruyff, the Cruyff Shield, so the Super Cup. They qualified to Champions League by battering Rangers, won all their league games, but yeah, we'll see how it goes with Europe now. Perfect. Battering Rangers is what we like to see. <laughs> um, can you Can you... Basically, lay out what the Bosch team looks like tactically, how they build, and yeah, who are maybe the key parts. I think you've kind of touched on it, but just kind of make a picture of the team for me, please. Yeah, so the team currently is playing pretty much a 4-2-3-1, and I would say um, now with uh, Bosch Ball, the biggest improvements compared to last season are possession phases. Like with uh, Van Nistelrooy, it was a bit stale, one-dimensional. Here, it's dynamic, fluid, and it's also vertical. Like these guys, like it's not just having the ball for the sake of having the ball or for control. I mean, you've seen it. Like the both teams still want to go forward, still want to be vertical. It's a high tempo. It's a game that he wants it to be played at a high speed. So. And, and now, while last year the team, it felt like it was just send the ball to the wings, cross into the box. Now it's really, there are many more ways to get into the box now. So that's that's very nice. Uh, and this happens partly because you have a guy like Noah Lang at left wing, who is not like the kind of winger who like cuts outside and then crosses. He always wants to cut inside and try to create something more interesting and higher value. Having like... PSV has had like kind of more traditional wingers lately that they just cut outside and go for the cross. This guy is a bit different and it's kind of refreshing uh, to see him now. Now, the one thing that it's still quite bad from uh, and kind of expected from Bospol is that the defensive transition continues yeah. to be <laughs> messy, probably even worse than last year because of tactical factors. Um, one thing is that like last year, if the, when the team lost the ball on the wings, okay, then you get attacked on the wings, but it's a bit less dangerous. This time, I think there are more turnovers in central area, so that leads to more dangerous counters. That's one. And two, uh, compared to Van Nistelrooy, Bos commits more men to the opposition box, so there are even more spaces behind that the opposition uh, can exploit. So... Those are some of the main tactical issues that I see on the side right now as far as fundamental football players. There are well, there are a lot of interesting ones. You have the wingers are quite are quite interesting. I already talked about Noah Lang. Um, then there's uh, Bakayoko, who, uh, Johan Bakayoko, who, well, he's Belgian, a very good, like, he's a winger that will event in a couple years, uh, uh, at most, he will move out probably to the Premier League. A guy... He's more of an on-ball winger, so he's not like he actually doesn't have much of a game into attacking spaces and going off-ball. But he's a very he's a pretty good dribbler, and he has excellent ball striking. And those are the ways he creates for others. I have some concerns about how his lack of more off-ball movement will affect him when he goes to a higher to 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 another league. But still, a very one of the more exciting prospects here at here at PSV. Um, then. Uh, Luke de Jong is always a threat in his own way. In Europe, it doesn't always work, but he does have a knack for scoring key goals in Europe, at least with PSV. So he's always a threat in the air. Um, and then uh, at this point, Dest is becoming inc an increasingly important baller for the game plan because... 
there are many situations where, for example, it depends on what side he plays on, but some, but I really like when he plays on the left, because then you have like one dribbler Bakayoko on the right, another dribbler uh, Dest on the left, and then those two offer the width, and it's it's a, and he has good interplay with Noah Lang on the left, so that's uh, that I find very promising. And then, well, for defensive transition has been an issue, uh, and that's why they came up with this like very last ditch signing of Armel Belakochap on on loan, which I love because. Yeah, that's about as good of a signing as we can get to see, well, it's hard for one man to fix all your defensive transition issues, but this should make it a bit better. So those are some of the key players I can think of right now. Yeah, if you're going to go for someone, Armel Balakotchap sounds like he's the type of player that can kind of, um, I think, save Bosch in those situations. A lot of what you've said sounds exactly like what I went through <laughs> at Lyon. First of all, he, he came in to replace Rudy Garcia, who I think is a good structural coach, but also doesn't really offer anything that exciting going forward. Bosch came in, lots of nice interplay in the interiors. And this is why I'm always going to be a, a fan of him. I know I know there are some very real critiques of him, especially what I think is probably in terms of setting up a rest defense, he's never been that good at that. Nope. And he demands way too much of his, I think his fullbacks as well, at least at Lyon, that was, that was the case. Demanded too much of fullbacks who were never physically capable of really handling the role that he'd given them. And then also the centre-backs. I think it's a bit of a mess in transition, and which is why I think someone like Martinelli could really have a lot of um, a lot of pleasure against PSV. Yep. But but yeah, I think I think this is a side that will be very interesting to play. It's going to be very different, I think you, uh, you would agree, to the PSV that we came up against last year, not just in terms of personnel, but approach as well. Absolutely. And this is a point that actually I had actually put in the notes. Like um, the way uh, PSV played last year and the way they won that game, it's, yeah, it's going to be a completely different thing this time around because with Van Nistelrooy, they were quite happy uh, with um, just sitting back and trying to hit on the counter, partly because, yeah, like he couldn't coach a press, but also... When you have Cody Gakpo and Xavi Simmons as your wingers, yeah, those are two guys you'd <laughs> really appreciate to have in transition. So it worked. Um, now there's a bit less of a threat because Noah Lang is not Gakpo like on the run. So, and well, and Luke de Jong is not getting any younger. But the main transition threat here uh, would be Bakayoko. And that's really, and that's where it could get dangerous. And by the way, they have, PSV has in Joey Fearman like a very good long passer to lob those balls all the way and and to hit you on the counter. So that's the thing that uh, Arsenal should watch out. I am uh, actually it depends a bit on how PSV set up because like if we know that Dest will start, I just don't know. Uh, it's not quite clear who the other fullback will be, and depending on that, we'll know whether he plays left or right. If for example Lang and Dest play on the left, I find that it could be a bit of a threat for Arsenal's right side. I And also, like, Arsenal's uh, 3 plus 2 transition defense, they covered the center well, but uh, it, so opponents in the past have tried to get around that and go on the wings. And this is going to be a game where um, 
PSV will have to go on the wings if they want to cause a threat. So, and I would say that they do with Lang, with Dest, with Bakayoko, and with Lozano, who we still don't know what role will he play or on what wing. But all of these players could cause could be a threat to Arsenal on the wings. Yeah, I have to say I completely missed that Lozano actually joined you guys. Is it on loan? I assume. No, this was uh, this was a, a full a tra- full return. Purchase, yeah. So okay, nice. If he's doing well, he's gonna be a big factor in these Champions League nights. And the difference is that like Lang, uh, Noah Lang, and Bakayoko are more like on ball, like ball to feet creators. He's the guy who attacks space. So I would say that he complements either very well. And yeah, he's gonna be a different threat uh, from from PSV. And and it's the kind of threat that PSV do need to exploit defenses at the Champions League level because I do sometimes worry like sometimes what happened for example even against Rangers what was happening is that Bakayoko and Lang were very frustrated at times because they always okay they get the ball to feed then they try to go for the 1v1 it doesn't work as well as it does in the Dutch league and then they get frustrated (laughs) and it doesn't work as well Lozano is a guy who of course just operates in a different way, uh, attack space in a different way. And I would say it's in a way that, in my opinion, will hurt Champions League level teams more than what Lang and Bakayoko do. Yeah, I think, I think to me, he sounds like the danger man, particularly if he plays, um, obviously, with our um, defensive, well, what transition shape kind of dropping down in the middle, I think, through the, through the wide areas, maybe Bakayoko and, and Lozano could be where yeah. Yeah, you guys hit us. That's another team that, like, that's another case, though, where I look at PSV and Arsenal and I'm like, yeah, Arsenal are better in every phase <laughs> of play. <laughs> so, again, I see them as heavy favorites. Uh, I mean, I think with both, like, the conclusion with both PSV and Sevilla is a bit like, you know, like, I imagine that sometimes Arsenal fans look at their team and it's like, oh, these guys have inconsistencies, whatever. But, like, look. The inconsistencies in, say, Martinelli, Odegaard, Saka, etc., are nothing compared to the inconsistencies of Sevilla <laughs> players and PSV players. Like, a bad day for, for, for Saka or Martinelli is a lot better than a bad day for Lucas Ocampos. And that's the key. Like, if PSV and... Uh, and Sevilla attackers have a good day, yeah, they can make life hard for Arsenal, but... If they don't, then it's really like just Arsenal have not just better players. They just have much better collective mechanisms than both teams right now. So to me, they are really heavy. Well, in general, Arsenal is the heavy favorite in this group. I have to say, Jose, given our years of struggle, it's nice hearing a Real Madrid fan. Obviously, you are tempered by your PSV fandom, but it's nice to hear a Real Madrid fan kind of gas up the fact that we are a very good team. Um, I'm going to ask you before you leave, obviously, you're also going to be watching this group closely, as I mentioned earlier. How do you kind of see it um, ending up? And do you think PSV are going to... It it sounds from what you've said that Arsenal should top the group, but do you think PSV or Sevilla or Lance, I guess, a team maybe you know a little bit less about, who do you kind of see grabbing that other spot? I will... Let's see see what Ninad has to say later, but... (laughs) <laughs> I, I trust I trust Lance to do as well as every other French team has done in Europe lately. Um, so, 
so yeah, the kind of the way I see it is, I mean, it's Champions League. Every group is tough in its own way. I genuinely think that PSV got, re- aside from Arsenal, got relatively lucky in the draw. Like, I mean, Sevilla is was to me like one of the two weaker teams in pot one. Uh, Lance, I would put him at least like in the bottom half of pot four, uh, especially like with the talent they've with the talent they've lost o- lost over the summer. How things are shaping up, it's it's looking a bit harder for them. So um, it it won't be easy. It's just that as a PSV fan, I th- see it as it could have been a lot worse. And yeah, we st- close to best case scenario. Exactly. So we still have like a pretty solid fighting chance of making it past the the group stages and that's really all I wa- like that's really all I wanted honestly like going into the draw like my only thing is like I just don't want to be fourth and that's it and I think <laughs> I, I think with this we have a solid shot at not being fourth so I, I do think we have a solid shot at making it second or third and yeah so it'll be interesting to see how it shapes out this is an interesting like this PSV is an interesting team it's an exciting team but it's also a team that right now has a bunch of weaknesses and i mean what concerns me is that all of the opponents there can hurt like like especially with how weak the defensive transition is even sevilla has a shot at hurting us significantly and they are probably like the slowest transition team in this group so yeah Perfect, perfect, perfect. From a from a Ligue 1 fan point of view, I would love Lance to make it out because we really need it for our um, coefficient. But as a boss fan and I think a fan of Dutch football in general, um, I do hope you guys make it out. So yeah, thank you so much. For real this time, you're not going to be coming back on for the Lance section. Don't worry. <laughs> but for real this time, it's been a pleasure, Jose, having you. Um, where can people find you and what are you doing in football at the moment? Yeah, so, as, I mean, as far as football, I keep it more on the side, but uh, you'll find me either throwing out hot takes on Twitter, so look for uh, JC Perez underscore. Uh, so you'll find me there throwing out hot takes. I These days, I'm, I tend to record podcasts for Managing Madrid. Occasionally, once every blue moon, an article there will come out from me. I do less writing now. And I'm throwing out like a monthly column for Football España on just general La Liga stuff. So that's currently that's currently where I'm at with the football writing and podcasting. And yeah, so thanks for having me, Alex. It's been a pleasure to talk about Sevilla and PSV. And let's hope we can do this again and talk about and talk a bit more about it once the games happen. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Jose. And yeah, definitely people, I would really recommend checking that stuff out. Jose's been very humble in the beginning, but he generally was a big, genuinely was a big inspiration when I first came on. So I would highly recommend it. And after a short break, we'll be coming back and I speak to my good friend, Anad, who is going to take us through RC Lance. And we're back and I'm joined by Ninad who is the host of what many are calling the best English-speaking Ligue 1 podcast out there. Would you agree with that, Nenad? Alex, believe it or not, I run into people in the street telling me they <laughs> love the pod here in Manchester in the UK. So that, that speaks volumes. I say that as completely, completely without any biases. Um, but yeah, Nenad's a good friend of mine. I'm really looking forward to to chatting RC Lance with you. I think this is for the first time we're, you know, actually not doing it on Everybody's Eats, but instead on Podshot Pod, who would have thought. 
Um, before we're going to get in there, not, I'm going to make you do the same as I made Jose do the pot shot question. You already know it. Um, so what is your favorite Champions League goal ever scored by a club that you support? And obviously you are a United supporter. So, well, I mean, there's quite a few goals over the years, not many in the recent past, I must say, <laughs> but I think if I... I had to go back to 2011, well, so I don't... Yeah. <laughs> okay, well, if I if I have to go far back in history, I think the one that definitely stands out for any United fan is is the is the Solskjaer goal in the 99 final against um, yeah against Bayern. It's it, I know I, I told you differently before we started. Celebra- celebra- <laughs> celebrated that one wild. I did, but I was one years old. When <laughs> I was one years old, uh, but no, I mean I, I look back at that goal so many times, um, and yeah, it's hard to argue against that goal being the most iconic United goal in Champions League history. So. So, and a, a goal that you actually watched? I did. I did. Live? A goal that you watched live? A goal that I watched live? I'll have to go with uh, Rashford's goal against uh, PSG at Parc de France in 2019. Um, yeah, a crazy, crazy night. We should not have won that game. We should not have won that game by 3-1. Unreal. Just just a superb night. Yeah, never going to forget it. Is that the one where Rashford did the whole like hand on the head of Mbappe thing? Yes. That United fans. Yes. Yeah. Yes. That's very United fan to have posted that, you know. I don't even remember the goal, but I remember that. <laughs> but yeah, <laughs> we're going to move on. But Nanad actually initially had a Chris Smalling goal <laughs> as his favorite hey, ever. Hey, it was, it wasn't because much. of the goal. It was because of Juan Mata. So I wanted, I wanted to just put some respect on Mata's name. Okay, so... Imagine a Chris Smalling goal being your favorite ever Champions League goal. Anyways, we're not here to speak about um, Manchester United, thankfully. We are here to speak about the last team in our group, RC Lance. Um, Nenad and I both know quite well, so I think we're going to kind of tackle this together, but I will let you take the helm. Before we dive into it from a tactical standpoint, um, let's just look at Lance in terms of the journey that they've kind of had since coming back into Ligue 1. And, and, you know, all the way now to the Champions League. Would you would you mind taking us through that? Yeah, absolutely. I think they've always been there or thereabouts in, in Liga in recent years. Obviously, they've had some dips and uh, some dips and rises back uh, from Ligue 2. But since they've come back into Liga, I think Frank Hayes has been a big part of their success. And what they've been able to do to get to this point of being second place to Paris Saint-Germain, essentially being the second best team in, in Liga is a combination of smart recruitment, is a combination of having a healthy relationship with their supporters, and it's it's doing all the right things that you want from a football club is is what Lons have been able to do. Is you know obviously having a coach as good as Frank Hayes, arguably the best back three coach in Liga, uh in my opinion. And um and yeah I think a lot of what they've been able to achieve to get to that point is just like I said that smart recruitment and being able to identify value in players that other clubs haven't been able to identify like signing Arno Kalamwendo from Paris Saint-Germain for on loan for two seasons he was their main man and then signing Seko Fofana from Udinese for an 8.5 million fee which was until Lois Openda signing their most expensive transfer fee so they're not spending too much they've spent in 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 medium to low amounts for a great deal of success from these players and they've managed to extract a lot of value and that's 
down to Frank Hayes' coaching and also the obvious fit that these players bring to Lawrence's tactical setup. So, yeah, I think a lot of what they were able to do over the past couple of seasons culminated in that second place finish last season where we saw them play some amazing football with some really, really top quality players, some of whom have gone this season, unfortunately, and left for pastures new. But the hope is that they can maybe rediscover some of that old flavor and finish strongly again this season. Absolutely. And I think the point that you make about their recruitment, especially I think Seko Fofana, coming in at the time was seen as quite a pricey fee to pay, but obviously for, for Lance um, and fi- their financial stature, um, obviously he more than delivered back on that. And the only sad thing is that he's not, you know, going to be with them this season to to really have him playing under the Champions League nights, I think. <clears throat> Sorry, have him playing under the Champions League lights. I think that's a, that's a great shame, as well as I think Openda playing for the right club. In my in my opinion, rather than at at Leipzig, but but yeah, I think what the points you make there really important. The way that they've kind of they've come up, and I think the, the and I think the one point that you really made was Frank Hayes and just the impact that he's had. And you kind of almost humbly, I think, called him the best league, um, the best back three coach in league. On, but really, he's one of the best back three coaches in the world. And I can see you kind of stopping yourself from from throwing that in there. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but but I don't think we need to. He is one of, I think, the best back three coaches in the world, um, or at least coaches that set out very much with that back three approach. Would you mind taking us through um, how Lance shape up and how they look tactically, both, I guess, last season, but also after some significant um, departures, how they're looking so far this season? Well, the shape, I think, had, hasn't sort of uh, moved away too much from what they were doing last season. So last season, it was... Essentially a 3-4-2-1 with really adventurous wingbacks in David Machado and Premislav Frankowski. Then you have Lois Openda, really the focal point of that attack and really driving that long attack in transition. Then you have players like Sotoka and David Costa supporting him uh, behind, behind Openda. And of course, the big attraction in midfield was Seko Fofana, who really took a lot of responsibility driving the team from the defensive third into the offensive uh, offensive areas. And I think the back three itself, comprising of Danso, Facundo Medina, Jonathan Grady, three ever-presents, and you still see them playing regular minutes and almost undroppable status, all three of them have. So I think their passing range really comes into uh, Lance's style very well because of how well... It complements their approach in possession building from the back, how direct they are in getting the ball to the wing backs and then attacking those wide spaces out wide. So that's one thing. And this season, unfortunately, with the departures of Openda and Seko Fofana, those are two huge players from a qualitative standpoint that they've lost. So they've been able to replace them in terms of their profile in bringing in Andy Diouf, who they signed from, from Basel. Um, also from Ren, I believe he was owned by Ren, but then spent last season on loan at Basel. So that's one thing. And they've also signed Montpellier's Sepele Oahi, who was, of course, a big, big talking point during the summer transfer window. Chelsea were looking at him, Eintracht Frankfurt looking at him. So they brought him in. Now, of course, he has experience playing for Montpellier, who are quite like Alex and I, we, we sort of, we talk about Montpellier being the Burnley of, of Liga. So, <laughs> so Oahi is, I think, quite, quite familiar with playing in a transitional setup but this is a little bit different than Montpellier isn't it this is controlling how those transitions are created so that's one thing that Lawrence are very good at is 
breaking a plane in the middle of the park and then charging into space behind the, the behind the opposition backline and then so that's i think that's sort of what they what they're really good at is settling into a really really compact and solid block in the middle of the park and then deep circulating the ball and then looking for space in behind and just constantly trying to sustain pressure when the ball is in the offensive uh, sorry the opponent's defensive third and then yeah generating chances for themselves that way but if those opportunities don't come by they do retreat into retreat into their block very quickly and yeah which is what makes them a very effective team defensively um so yeah i think that sort of covers them tactically alex have i missed out on anything no not at all i just want to add on in terms of their deep circulation as you were you were speaking about i think it's quite interesting in that it's like vertical but not afraid of resetting very quickly you know Absolutely. often you get that sort of vertical we wouldn't really call it circulation but players that play quite vertically but teams that play quite vertically then try to move the ball up the pitch quickly whereas Lance kind of like to use it vertically and then reset and then like you say trying to find that space in behind because then they suck teams in and then they try particularly have the wing backs as those triggering runs then and playing them in so I think that's an interesting play way in which um Lance like to progress the ball. I think one one thing that's important to just to add on to what you were saying about how important the centre-backs are is that Medina and Gradi are both really good passers, particularly Medina. And then Danso, also a good passer, but very good at carrying forward. You'll often see him just kind of dribble past the first line of pressure um, with that security that he has guys behind. And I think one thing that's really interesting is Seko Farfana was also hugely important in their progression, obviously having himself kind of situated in the half spaces what you really see is often they kind of evacuate vacate or evacuate the middle um and Seko was really important for that I feel like they've lost maybe in losing Seko they've lost would you say some of that variety in terms of the solutions that they had to build into and arrive into the opponent half no for sure I think like with Andy Diouf you see there are similarities in the way that he carries the ball with Fofana but there is still a rawness in him that they've lost the immediate quality that Seko Fofana brought, the great deal of experience he had, and obviously the quality that he brought in, obviously, like you say, you know, carrying the ball from their half into closer to the half spaces. So that's one thing. And another another key aspect is how they are going to replace the qualities that Openda had off the ball, especially yes, because absolutely. Wahi is excellent in like targeting narrow corridors in between the center backs and like getting shots away in the box he's very clinical and he has an excellent record like taking shots taking a lesser volume of shots but he is quite effective at taking those shots and he has a really good shot on him and i know we've spoken about him previously on on everybody's eats how effective he is at at really taking advantage of those few opportunities that he gets so i think that's the that's the that's the challenge for Frankie's this season is that how does he sort of alleviate those qualitative concerns and brings the strengths of these young players like Diouf, like Wahid to the fore. How does he bring the best out of them and still not lose the the thing that makes Lance so good? So, yeah. So then, yeah, let's let's start to move towards the matchup versus Arsenal. The one thing that, I'm, that interests me, and I don't know if I'm putting you on the spot maybe, is that it does sound guys like... Eliwahi, I think, particularly, is someone that I could see, you know, blooding the noses of the bigger teams, maybe more so than Openda. I know a player we both appreciate more is Openda, but maybe why he kind of suits a game versus Arsenal 
a bit better, particularly when those chances will be these half chances or getting, you know, these long balls over in transition. Um, how do you how do you think Lance will set up versus us? I guess we can start from the back in terms of their deep build-up, but also talking how they're going to play against us out of possession and and the threats like Wahi. No, for sure. I think the most interesting thing will be for, for Lance, how they set up in forward areas, the personnel that they choose to surround Wahi. Because like you said, they will get very few chances in this game. And taking advantage of those very few chances will be key. And that's why Wahi will come into the picture. But it's not just that, isn't it? It's also being able to being able to position yourself to be able to take advantage of those few chances. So that's where I think someone like Sotoka will be key to win those long balls from Brees Samba. I don't want to see him play wing back. Like I think we saw him play wing back against, yeah. uh, against Monaco. Monaco, yes. And, and he looked terrible out there. He looked completely away from the pitch. And that's not where you want him. You want him central of the play. And you, you want him to use his, his big physique to, you know, use his effectiveness in terms of his back-to-goal play and then help Ayawahi get the ball down from against the Arsenal centre-backs. Obviously, and you guys have bulked up physically this summer, bringing in a lot of, you know, tall players and improving the side's physical quality overall. So I think that'll be one challenge. And in terms of the setup overall, I think it'll be quite standard in that you might, you know, depending on available personnel, I would personally definitely go with David Machado and Frankowski on either side. I think they are the top choice when it comes to wingbacks for for Lons. And yeah, I think in terms of what Arsenal can look out for from this game from Lons is the threat from those wingbacks. Because if you can shut out those wingbacks, then I think you have managed to silence some of, I'd say not some, most of Lons' threat in open play at least. So yeah. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I forgot to even think about the wingbacks, but I think they're going to probably be, particularly Machado. I mean, he is an off-ball mover. He's very threatening, but he can also deliver deep crosses from the byline. He's got a, a lot of variety in, in his game in terms of what he can do. And I think, particularly, you're speaking about this with Jose as well, in terms of if, you know, for example, since there will be rotation of Partey's the guy inverting, I think Partey's injured for a while at the moment. But... Um, but getting in that space and behind could be really where where they do hurt hurts us um, as Arsenal. So half in my league on cap there for a moment, so thinking of <laughs> Lance as us. Uh, anyways, um, the other thing I was thinking is what's interesting is often last year in the big games we would see Sotoko starting, right? And I, I'm not sure that that would be a smart move versus Arsenal, but do you think it's something we could see Franke's do and then maybe have I wouldn't see him dropping, you know, now by far their records. I don't think they spent 35 million euros on him, right? But you think yeah, Wahi will be the the starter and then Sotoka kind of playing in the two behind? I mean, I think he has to be. I think he has to be. Sotoka has to be the one to play the two behind, behind Wahi. But, you know, it's like we talked about with Wahi earlier, is that I don't think Sotoka is the kind of person that you want to be leading the, the transitional opportunities that Longs will get. Because... Obviously, there are athletic differences between him and Wahi. There are benefits that you get from Wahi's very direct nature, being able to take full advantage of those vertical passes that Longs will often try against you guys. So I think the ideal scenario is that Satoka plays behind Wahi alongside maybe Thomason. I think Thomason is the more measured of uh, Angelo Fulhini and, and himself. So I think maybe he opts for Thomason, Satoka and uh, 
Ali Wahi. I think that would be the ideal sort of setup that um, I would go with. And yeah, I think uh, out of yeah. possession as well, it makes sense. I think Thomas Sant sure. and and Sotoka. Yeah. Let's actually use that to move into how do you think that they they're going to um, play against us defensively? I mean, Lance last year very very strong defensive side and a side that does pride themselves on kind of building off that defense first. So how do you expect them to to play against us? Well, yeah, defensively, I think. Yeah, again, those those principles of being very resolute in their D block will will come to the fore, and I think me, you may you you'll probably see one of the two you know supporting playmakers drop. So I could I could very conceivably see Arjun Thomason drop deeper to maybe uh, float between duties on Odega or Kai Havertz, depending on where Frank Hayes wants him to roam. So maybe he drops deeper to support uh, support Longs in that sense. I think the big the big weaknesses in, in Lawrence's defense that Arsenal will likely look to exploit is the space behind those adventurous wingbacks because Martinelli and Saka will be key in that sense. And then when you exploit those spaces, you have to come up against Jonathan Grady and Facundo Medina, who admittedly can hold their own in, in wide spaces. They are quite mobile and they are physical, so they're not the easiest to get past. But I think Martinelli and Saka with the with the kind of quality they bring to the table, it's difficult to see them not beating them more often than twice, thrice with the dribbles and with their movement that they bring. And so so yeah, I think it's it's a qualitative mismatch when you look at the the back three of Lons and look at the back three of Arsenal. But I think not to get too consumed into that into that comparison. The key areas will be for Arsenal to exploit the space behind those wing backs. And then, yeah, I think that that would probably be that would probably be the biggest uh, biggest weakness I think that Arsenal can exploit aside from their obvious qualitative superiorities. Yeah, absolutely. I think the one other thing that I would point out is I'm I'm interested to see the the use of the goalkeeper and how Arsenal approach Lance in terms of when we are out of possession pressing from their sort of goal kick scenarios. Um, I mean we saw it versus United, right? The role of Onana. Obviously, this is a slightly different setup, but Brisamba is someone who is. I don't think anyone's as comfortable as Onana in terms of playing out from goal and, you know, really pushing forward into that back line. But Brie Samba isn't far off. Um, and is someone who also likes to play, and as you, as you spoke about earlier, not afraid of playing those piercing balls through the middle. So I'm, I'm very interested. I don't have the answers right now, um, but I'm very interested to see kind of how we manage that. What I do suspect is we may well go against Lance in terms of a side that also does like to keep possession, but probably wouldn't expect... Lance 2 versus Arsenal. But I think similar to how we handled United, we could see us kind of having the slightly more zonal approach, sitting off a bit, trying not to get sucked in, because I think that's a big part of what Lance do to try, um, yeah, play through the teams that they like to play through. Um, so it might be quite a... I've already spoken about another affair being a tetchy affair between Sevilla and Lance earlier in the pod, but it could be quite a tactical battle from that perspective. No, yeah, for sure. In terms of that tactical battle, I think, like you said, Bree Samba will be key because we've seen him already this season be comfortable in the sense that Onana is on the ball. Not as comfortable as Onana on the ball, but definitely someone who likes to push into the back line, is comfortable receiving, under pressure, can suck in players as well with his you know, patient ability and you know, sort of willingness to wait to make the right pass and execute really high quality chip passes to the to the fullbacks or really high and vertical passes to the forward areas. So I think, yeah, I could definitely see some sort of dynamics repeat in those out of possession 
um, out of possession methodologies that you guys sort of deployed against against United, in that you might completely avoid pressing longs in that deep build up and look to win those or second duels. Or, uh, yeah, over- or overcommitting, yeah. yeah. It, it could be either one of those things. And yeah, I think the key there will be then to win those second balls when the, the vertical passes come through. And once you win those second balls, then then it then it comes to you know taking full advantage of the disrupted midfield shape because then Abdul Samed and Andy Diouf don't know where to where to look. And when in transition, I think those two can be overloaded a little bit and they can look a bit frazzled almost um, in terms of you know because Arsenal's Arsenal have so many players that are good at carrying the ball. You got Declan Rice, you got Olega, and I don't need to tell you, <laughs> you know more than me. <laughs> but yeah, just yeah, that's something for Lance and both Arsenal to keep an eye on is that there will, there will be a lot of second balls to be won from vertical passes, especially from Lance's side. So that'll be something that that will be an interesting feature of the game for sure. Absolutely. I, I personally, I really hope Lance come out second out of this group because. Legal really needs that. <laughs> I know, yeah. And it would be nice. I think Lance is a good group of fans as well. It's a great club. Um, so I'm excited to go up against them. I personally, even as an Arsenal fan wanting to win the group as soon as possible, I would have loved to have played last season's iteration. It's a hard balancing act for these clubs to keep replacing and keep improving. And I think we're starting to see the limits of that with Lance and especially, I think, with them in Europe now, I for this season, I'd be I wouldn't be surprised if they don't make Europe next season. For sure, yeah. I mean, you're talking about um, Lawrence's like, you know Champions League group finish. That one thing I did sort of notice in their research is they have a decent record against big teams. So they actually beat Wenger's Arsenal in uh, <laughs> 98-99. Uh, they beat they beat um, Arsenal one then. In 1998-99, they've drawn twice against Bayern in home and away games. They beat Nice and Milan at home in France. So you never know. An upset could be on the cards. <laughs> I wish them well against European champions, Sevilla. <laughs> <laughs> All right. That's enough of that. Do not look too happy celebrating Wenger's loss. Um, this is the last time we invited the United fan on. Thank you so much, though, for coming on, Anand. Um, Where can people find you and, and what are you doing? Well, uh, people can find me if they want to look up my very inactive Twitter. They can look up Ninad underscore, uh, Ninad B underscore zero six. See, that's, I don't even remember my own Twitter. Right? That's, that's, that's how, that's how inactive I am. But the more interesting pod handle to follow is the Everybody's Eats pod. Uh, where you can listeners can find uh, them on at everybody's eats. Uh, Alex and I and Jerry are constantly trying to create interesting league on content on there. So highly recommend and would love for the listeners to join us on there and you know share the share the league on love because uh, we need it. Yeah. <laughs> I hear it's a very very good pod. That's that's all I'm going to be saying. Um, hey, no, you. I'm not arguing. Yeah, <laughs> thank you so no. much again, Nanad. It was a pleasure having you. Likewise. Um, so yeah, that's all from me. I hope you've enjoyed this international break episode. Hopefully we'll give you a little bit more extra content when the next international break comes around. Um, but we are back next week where I will again be your host, joined by our summer signings, Manus and Lorcan, to review the Everton game and probably preview the North London derby um, versus Spurs, which is coming up the week after. But until then, please do like and subscribe as well as leave nice little comments on wherever you listen to us. Um, 
as well as maybe like and retweet the posts on Twitter. It really does help us a lot and we're grateful for how much we've been growing recently and hopefully we'll keep bringing good content to you guys. Um, and as always, thank you to James Blake for the music. You can find him at JW Blake on Spotify. I think that's where he has a new album or new music out. But yeah, until then, see you next week.